Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Thank you for joining us today. Kim and I, together with you, will be talking about topics in the wine world that we find every week. And on our own, usually we Google something every week, and we like to discuss that with each other and you. So, Kim, what did you Google this week? So I was looking into some of the wine societies in Boston, because believe it or not, there are a lot of wine, you can kind of call them wine clubs. There's one specifically devoted to the wines of Bordeaux that I've been in communication with, which is excellent. And then there are other ones for not just professionals, but people who are really into wines. And the one that I was looking at was the Boston Sommelier Society. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff out there. You know, we have a wine group. We have a wine club, uh, the Franklin Wine Club, that is a meetup group. But there are also all of these other organizations and ways that people can can get into wine and learn a little bit more. And uh, what did you Google this week, Mark? Well, Kim, this week I Googled some wine amounts. And meaning, you've probably like seen... Quantities? It in- quantities. You've probably seen this infographic around on the internet. But one grape bunch equals one glass. You ever oh, see this type of thing? Yeah. So five glasses equals one bottle. 25 cases equals one bag. Barrel. One barrel equals 50 vines. 400 vines equals one acre of land. And one acre of land equals five ton of grapes. So I like those infographics. Kind of breaks down, you know, depending on how what's densely you in plant. the glass. See, this is, and this is where we can get geeky because then I can turn around and say, "Well, how densely are you planting those vines?" See, <laughs> and you'll understand too- what I'm talking about, but maybe other people won't. Thank you for joining us today. Kim and I want to start out with a topic in one of our favorite websites, Wine Folly. And she did a tasting, what she called cheap versus expensive wine taste test. Mark would just say inexpensive. Yeah, well, we always battle out this. When we say, <laughs> you hear cheap a lot, but we like to say inexpensive because I get that a lot from customers, people coming, I need a cheap bottle of this. I, I don't sell any cheap stuff, but I sell inexpensive bottles of wine. So Kim, what did you think? She compared a Napa Merlot to a Italian blend. So there are a lot of things that go into what makes what can make a specific bottle of wine more expensive or less expensive. So I thought it was, this was one take on what increases a wine's price, but there are other things in here that she didn't necessarily touch on, but it, that is also good to take into consideration when, when looking at what is making a particular bottle more expensive versus less expensive. The, you know, the first thing that she did mention was grape pop popularity is is a big part of it. A grape that is more recognized and is something that more people regularly consume is generally going to be more expensive than something that is not on people's radar. So that is why she did two of the exact same grape variety. And it's one of the reasons why she did two of the same grape variety. I mean, not only are flavors supposed to be relatively similar if you're using the same grape, but then that also can take away that popularity problem for the cost of the wine. I think a great example for our listeners how to relate popularity versus cost is looking at Cabernet Sauvignon versus Sauvignon Blanc. So Cabernet is you you 
talking fifteen, twenty dollar, but you can get Sauvignon Blancs under ten pretty pretty easy, that good quality. So to produce Sauvignon Blanc grapes is a lot cheaper than to, to produce cap grapes and it's all based on popularity well, that's and also, production. That's and red land. that's a red and white difference too. Well, which I think is as a different far as cost I would think, of grapes. I would think, I think more those, Cabernet Sauvignon in compared to Cabernet Franc. Yeah, but you know it's not yeah. Cab Francs, yeah. Not oh. popular. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I just, I think the easiest cost, why is Sauvignon Blanc so much cheaper than, I mean, it's a different white grape versus red, but it, it's, they're all grapes and it shows a big difference in price. That white doesn't go into an oak barrel. We'll That's fight very about important. We'll we're going to, yeah, we're going to continue to fight so about she, this. So she, what she did in this was compare a Napa Merlot at $75 to an Italian Merlot at seven dollars and she described each one as she was tasting and one of the things i wanted to ask your opinion on kim is she mentioned that the 75 dollar napper merlot to her was more aromatic Mm -hmm. the thing i have with this is i've opened a lot of inexpensive wines they're usually inexpensive because they're not using oak so you're getting a lot of fresh fruit and i've opened a lot of inexpensive wines i'd say wow the aromatics on this wine are beautiful but obviously the taste is not the same quality as the $75 $75 bottle, mm-hmm. but the, the aromatics, the aroma of it is is intense. Have you ever experienced that? Yes. I think a big thing that she did not touch on in this, which I find to be an, you know, an indicator generally of quality, she didn't talk about ripeness. And that's a big thing for me about the, those aromatics. So even completely disregarding the fact that one of these, the most, the more expensive one was aged in an oak barrel and the less expensive was not, we're talking about two wines that are really grown in two very different areas. So we don't know if that Napa Cabernet, if the ripeness of the grapes when they were picked was at a completely different level than the ripeness of the Italian grapes. Just given her description, I'm going to say that they were because she said that the Italian one was more acidic. She didn't get as much flavor complexity out of it and she didn't get those aromatics. That is telling me that these were much less ripe grapes that were picked. What if, was the Italian region? I thought it was Tuscan, it, it, which I should be warm. I, I don't remember. I, I, for some reason, I have in my head that this was from Tuscany, but I... and. and you do sort of assume that, you know, a Tuscan red is going to be really warm, but possibly this quality of the grapes going into the bottle weren't at the same level of the quality of the grapes going into the more expensive level, possibly because of how ripe they were when they were picked. And we usually assume that you're going to get more complex flavors out of grapes that are riper than under under riper grapes. So if she mentioned... The Napa Merlot was 14% alcohol and the Italian Merlot was 40% alcohol. Would you correlate that to say they were the same ripeness level? I would be more inclined to think so. Because I don't believe she even mentioned, did she even mention the alcohol content? No, So, But you can also fudge the alcohol by a point or a point and a half. So, you know, that you sort of have to take with a grain of salt. I would be more interested in seeing not only the same grape, but this experiment done with the same general regions. So a Napa versus an inexpensive California. Like I, I almost feel like this is too varied. Like it's harder to get a true idea. Do you find, I don't want to get off your point, but I was, <laughs> no, do you find that when, like she was saying that the $75 one is more complex. If you were to explain to our listeners or to an average wine drinker, how is a $75 wine more complex than a $7 bottle? Right. What, what do I mean? It's more complex. Right. Then you have I, to explain that. 
that. Yeah, I have that a lot where I'll, they'll say I want a nice bottle of cab and what price point 10? Well, there's no difference between a 10 and a, and a $50. And I'm trying, I'm, I, you want to say, well, there is a difference. They're more complex, but what do we mean? How, how's the best way to explain? And, and she, she just said more complex. She didn't really explain why. She what just said it, the yeah. $7 one was simple fruits. The $75 one was more complex. What does that mean to for our listeners? So I like to explain it as it's a wine that has more layers to it and more interesting flavors. It lasts in your mouth. Like once you take a sip, it doesn't just stop there. You get to continue to appreciate the flavors as they change even after you've swallowed the wine. So, so is it a mouthfeel and a texture to you? It's a texture and a flavor. Okay. So it's both. Um, so it's more not flavor, simple. More it's more flavor. It, it fills out your mouth. It makes you think about it a little bit more. And that's where it gets tricky, I think, for a lot of consumers because you might not be wanting to spend all that time thinking about the flavor development in your mouth. You might just want a refreshing glass of something, in which case spending $50 for a bottle of wine, maybe that's just not going to work for you. You know, maybe that $10, $12 bottle of wine is perfectly and exactly what you are looking for because complexity might not necessarily be an important point for you. You might just be looking for something that suits your particular flavor profile, but you, what, you're, what you like to drink and maybe something that does have that added complexity, if that adds $25 to the price tag, is not worth it for you. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think there's many people where they always... Their everyday wine is an inexpensive or say a $7 wine. And then you say, well, try this, you know, try this $75 wine. I think you'll, you're not going to convert those people who drink their everyday wine as a, as a 7 to $10 bottle because they're not every day going to drink a $75 bottle. But it might be nice for a special occasion. Special occasion. But to me, it's more about educating. This is the difference in taste. And hopefully you'll see why on a special occasion it's worth spending 75 bucks to, and this is why, mm-hmm. you know, so. But this is one of those hard things to try to convince somebody when you're only using words and that having two glasses of wine in front of you to show the difference can be very, very valuable. So there, I mean, there is something to be said for this is how we describe that this is what makes a, a you know complexity in the glass. But sometimes just tasting them side by side makes all the difference. So Kim, what adds cost to from a $7 bottle to a $75 bottle? What increased that cost so much? So one of the big things that especially she talked about here is the cost of aging it in those big oak barrels because oak is expensive. It does add value to the wine though, especially if you like those oaky flavors because it does add that richness. It adds that vanilla. It adds that spice, that creaminess, which for certain grape varieties really does enhance the flavor of the wine and makes it a better wine. But you're also spending however many thousands of dollars on that one oak barrel to add that flavor. So the cost of that barrel has to be figured into the cost of the final wine. So that is one thing that can make a wine more expensive. And then, like I said, that ripeness, that the extra time that those grapes are allowed to hang in the vineyard and to develop more of those flavors, that is eventually going to cost a little bit more because that extra time that you put into into growing those is going to translate into, into more money. But something that she didn't touch on that I think also can add to the cost of a wine is the reputation of that wine. The What's the pedigree of that wine? Is there something intangible that is adding to the cost? Is it from a famous producer? 
producer? Is it from a famous place? Is it something that there is more demand for than there actually is wine to sell? So those sort of intangibles can definitely affect the price of a wine. We were talking about cult wines before. Just the cost of the fruit and the cost of the winemaking cannot account for a $2,500 bottle of wine. There are other components and other intangibles that are making that wine cost more and people will pay it. Every once in a while, I'll get that oak question. I'll say, there are $7 or $10 bottles that they'll say it's oak. And then I'll say, well, they'll say, why is it $20? I'll say, well, they're using, they're using oak. And they say, well, this wine's using oak. So there's a big difference in cost between an actual oak barrel or used oak or versus a new oak. So you can, you can use an oak chip. It's not the same price to produce as an oak barrel. So I get that question a lot. Yeah. And you mentioned also uh, on uh, reputation. Would you associate reputation to a marketing cost as well. So it's kind big of big brand yeah, spends a lot of marketing are, money, but a small um, family winery has goes more by reputation than their marketing dollars. But I think so. that reputation has to also tie in with quality. So marketing is one thing if you're putting your marketing dollars into trying to get people excited about this particular wine. But for reputation, there has to have been, I think, some experience that a particular person had with that wine, tasted it, thought that it was worth what they were spending the money on, and then pass that information around to other people. So reputation is creating demand. Yeah, Which I kind of feel like cost. reputation has less to do with we're spending money on getting people excited about this wine. Doing it on its own. Yes. It's creating a demand. Yeah. yeah. So that, I mean, and that's where cult wines come from. It's a demand and the price just keeps going up and up and up. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find us on iTunes at The Wonderful World of Wine. And if you want to find out more about Mark, you can visit his website, franklinliquors.com, or visit my website at vinitaswineworks.com. We talk a lot about health and nutrition and food and organic wines and natural wines. And there seems to be a little bit of a push to perhaps put nutritional information onto wine labels. I know now we've been hearing this from numerous sources, and there was an opinion piece from the Academic Wino, who I really like that name, put out a bit ago about this push towards putting nutrition labels onto wine, whether it be calorie counts or ingredients or other information that creates a little bit more transparency about wine for the consumers, I think. Yeah, and they were saying government pressure to add. So my government question Government pressure is, and consumer pressure who is, is what they were talking the, about. Right. The is it the average consumer or is it certain wineries that want to show there's a mm-hmm. difference. So, well, we've been seeing this in beer for a little while, haven't we? Yeah. Matter of fact, you mentioned that. You noticed the new Bud Light marketing thing is, do you know what's in your beer? Yeah. And they put it right on their packaging. And I think at a wine approach, someone should do that. Someone should say, do you know what's in your wine? We're going to tell you what's in our wine. But So I think Budweiser, they probably trademarked that. I think that's so no fairly ironic it. that a company that puts rice in their beer is... <laughs> Well, they're no, honestly telling you what's in the right, beer. So. but that you know that brings up an interesting point. With do you know what is supposed to be in your wine and supposed to be in your beer? And if you're a beer purist and you only want barley and yeast and water, 
never mind. I'm getting off on a tangent. Well, but I think that that can translate into wine because one of the issues with if you put an ingredient label on a wine, how do, how does a consumer know that these things actually should be in here? And we and we run into this often when people want to know what's in their wine. And the the wine industry is opposed to this. Yeah, thing. I don't so think a why, lot of people in the wine industry think, want it. Why do you think the industry they say in the industry is opposed to I it? I think this com- comes back to our talk about complexity that wine is a complex subject and yes we can try to make it simple so that it's understandable but getting that information out to consumers that there are say certain things that are put into a wine with its yeast to help make that yeast work better can make consumers think that oh this is an additive that doesn't need to be there it's like well for modern winemaking modern modern winemaking is a lot more technical and a lot more scientific and a lot more chemical than a lot of wine consumers think you know wine consumers generally think that it's grapes that are mushed up and there's a little bit of yeast added and fermentation happens and that's your wine but that's really not the reality for most wine out there in the world when you hear the term wine in Industry. What what do you think about? What do I think about? I mean, we we hear it every day in our wine world to say I work in the wine industry or but I in think this of article, it as anybody anybody who is involved in the making, the selling, the talking about of wine. If you're involved in wine, you're part of the wine industry. All right. So we're in the wine industry. Yes, I'm I'm not opposed to it. I, I, I don't think, think I, many of the people. Do you think people I know think that that's wine. a bad bad word? That there's no, a no, negative I'm, connotation. I'm, I'm trying, I guess what I'm trying to get back to you is my opinion on wine industry what my definition is okay is the big corporations when i think industry i'm thinking of the top five because of the because word industry industry because those are the only people i think of who would be opposed to it because we know many small producers who they just want you to know all they're using is grapes water and yeast so that word industry is conjuring up industrial industrial in exactly that's industrial that's what I production think too, but we mm-hmm. use it so many like we you said earlier yeah we I, use it so many different ways everybody we know is in the wine I industry i see industry as all encompassing all of us not not that it's not necessarily industrial in our wine circle i think if we asked people what do you think about putting this information on labels mm-hmm. what would you say more or less would want it i don't know i really I, d- I don't know if i think it makes it an interesting talking point for those of us that do education for the consumer if there were nutrition labels and there were ingredient lists that would open up a whole new realm of education that More we could educate. do for people so that could be a boon for some of us right. but i think that it would definitely make wine more complicated for a lot of people. Yeah, why is there more information? I mean, we spend a lot of time educating what's going in it now that they don't know is on the label. Right. So, right. but that's a good point. It brings up more education yeah. opportunities, more maybe complicating it too much more again now or taking space away from things that people want simplified and putting more I like the idea of transparency I don't have a problem with people knowing what is in their product but I think there's a difference between knowing and understanding so like do you necessarily need to know how your car works in order to drive it? No. Yeah, I don't need a service manual, but I want the operator's manual. <laughs> right. That type of thing. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but I think that there is there is valid concern that people don't know what they're putting into their bodies when they drink wine. So I think that that is, that is something that people should understand. But it's hard for people when they see lists of ingredients that they are unfamiliar with to understand whether those things are dangerous or not dangerous. And I think just because something 
something is unfamiliar, the gut reaction of a lot of people is going to be, that doesn't need to be in there. Why is that in my wine? But you're not a winemaker. You're not a chemist. You might not necessarily understand what all that stuff is about. So I think that it could complicate matters for a lot of people. And we see this in food and we see this in a lot of consumer products that people see something in a product that they're using and they're like, well, I don't know what that is. It must be bad for me. Yeah, you mentioned food. They In this article, they mentioned uh, studies show that consumers want to know the ingredients of their food products. And then they asked if the ingredients or the nutrients were on a wine bottle, would more people or less people buy? And they did a couple studies. Did you see the studies yeah. about the ingredients? Yep. I don't know. Did it, did it show? I think people get scared. And maybe that would be, maybe this would be beneficial. I mean, maybe there are a lot of things in wines that shouldn't be there and that people should know about. That was the feedback they showed. And will people change. People think it's natural. So now if they start seeing that their wine there's is other not things natural. in there, which we've tell, been telling people for years, you know, there are things going in there but now if they see it they're afraid they'll get you know like when you say acid in the past we talked about acid mm-hmm. in wine people say oh there's acid in my wine right. it freaks them out and kind of turns them off on the wine but well there's also acid in your cell sal- in your salad dressing but we call it vinegar <laughs> you know <laughs> it's all about how the understanding of why is that in there so i think that the why question isn't being necessarily asked like when you put a a label of ingredients on a bottle of a back of a bottle of wine you're telling the what but you're not necessarily getting people to understand the why. And I think that that could cause problems. So we'll get back. I think I kind of asked you earlier, but do you want it? Do you want ingredients on the wine label? I don't know yet. I really don't know. I'm I'm kind of of two minds. No, I'm not really strongly of two minds. Um, Yeah. I don't. What do you? What about you? Oh, you know me. I have an opinion. <laughs> no, <laughs> and but, I know you well, like labels. To me, we, we talk about labels, you know, label geek. And we, we stress that right now, I always explain on a wine label, there are actually three ingredients that are on there. Number one is the grape, which I, is an ingredient. It's usually on there. It tells you what the grape is. It tells you sulfites, which is it's one of the truths they must tell you. So that's the second ingredient. And then alcohol, I feel, is the third ingredient. That's a truth that has to be told. But there's a list of other ingredients that the government allows to be put in the wine. And we show that list quite often. It involves acids and whatever. But just think about all the trouble that that sulfite warning Cause. causes by just having that one thing on there yeah. because people see contained sulfites they immediately think oh that must be dangerous because they're telling me about it now imagine we have a listing of 10 different things on yeah. the back of that label exactly. is that going to cause a consumer to pause and say i'm not going to buy this and we like you said Maybe we see that when they say stuff say oh no that's what's giving me the headaches that's what's causing this problem that problem so yeah if we do add more one of the things is you probably can't fit them all on the label <laughs> Maybe. It, it will take away from the simple stuff that you want to know and, and the truths that you want to know because it's it's going to take up more label space. But maybe for some people, those ingredients are one of the simple truths that do need to be on there. And if you are looking for a more natural product, then you want a wine that doesn't have all those other things. And that could be valuable for you because then that adds value in your mind to the wine that you're buying. 
Yeah, I, I honestly, Kim, I think they see. Just, I can I can defend both sides of this yeah, one. Yeah, no, and I think the easiest to, to me the easiest solution is they already know what they're saying. You can use this. I think the easiest solution is don't put it on the label, but make them have to release it on a text sheet or on a website or something. They all have. We talk about text sheets all the time where you can go and research what is about the wine, right? So just tell me every year if I want to research it, I can research it. Just give me a source that I can find out what is in the wine you don't have to put it on mm. the label you're telling me about sulfites what if i want to know more of what's in my wine if i really care about what i'm drinking maybe put a qr code or something on there or say ingredients online i go online it's there so the information is public it is public, available has to be public it's part of pub it's public knowledge but it might not necessarily be on the wine not book. on the label but it should be public knowledge how many times i want you know with food we we want to see the ingredients i don't look up zorgum number 12 or whatever is on my food product but i'm always curious what are you using what what else is going in there but you wouldn't know to look up that they that, would that have item to, has everyone would have to be required to tell you put it on some sort of maybe it's a government website that you can just go in. Right. They but what I'm saying is that when you buy a food product at the grocery store, you might not know, you might not necessarily feel like you need to go look up what xanthan gum or whatever is, but you see that it's in your product because it's on the label. Yeah. But if that, if it wasn't on that label, you might not even think to go look it up. Right. Because you don't have any idea. Yeah. I just, I just want to know. I just, I think they allowing them to do it. They're submitting a label for approval every year along with the label approval this is what i put in it approval and that gets posted just like the label you can you can go on a government site and see what label got approved by the government why can't i go on a site and see what they're adding to my wine maybe there's an ingredient in there I'm allergic to, mm -hmm. right? They don't have to tell you that or people get, you know, freaked out about a certain thing. I wonder how much of this is wineries not wanting, not wanting anybody to know what they're doing and how much of it is these are going to be so many changes that are going to cost us so much money. Like I'm, I'm wondering if a, a lot of the pushback from particular producers is that now they need to Secret put... Secret recipes? No, no, not, not so much <laughs> that, but that they need to put new processes in place for getting that information out there, for I printing new labels for making sure that every single year yeah. they go in and do chemical tests. You you mentioned that point before, and I think that is valid for the small producer because they might be changing things on the fly or mm -hmm. their blends. They don't know. They, they might be having a problem. They add something. Yeah, to I think more it, of an right? issue for the small guy. The big guy. They're already invested they in They know that, that blend. They know that. Yes, As you say, absolutely. recipe every year. So that's very easy to tell me what you're putting in there because it's a formula. It's a house style. It's a recipe. The little guy, maybe there should be some play if you're under 10,000 case production or something like that. But usually that little guy is very proud to say, we'll never use it. Mm -hmm. or We always use this. So I think it's a good a good topic. It depends if you really care what you're putting in your body. And I, I researched, I don't know if I ever told you this. I, I always thought there should be a way, like when I check my pool and my spa, I'm putting a a dipstick in there and it's telling mm -hmm. me this is what's in here i want a simple thing like that to put in my wine <laughs> to tell me it has this this and this just the major things minerals something so we'll see all right well this isn't going this is going to be an ongoing topic so when we get more updates about changes to labeling laws we will let you know <laughs> 
Thank you for joining us today. You've been listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We hope you join us again next week. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi. Please log on to iTunes and find us under The Wonderful World of Wine for past episodes. And you can also find us on Facebook. Cheers. Bye, bye, bye.